Um, I've been thinking a little bit this week about uh, some of the things that are conveniences in our lives, and I have come to the decision that text messaging is quite convenient, isn't it? Like, you want to share some information with somebody, but you don't want the trouble of a whole conversation where you have to call and be like, how are you? Fine, I'll tell you. So you just text the information. Do you know that there are websites that tell you what you should text and what you should not text? Like, there are websites that tell you the etiquette of texting, and I just recently learned, and I'll check this out, that if someone texts you and you, rather than texting them back, actually take your phone and call them, that that is considered aggressive. <laughs> How is that aggressive? Someone actually said to me, they text me and I was driving and I don't text and drive. So I said, Siri, call them. So Siri called them and I was like, hey, you just texted me. And they're like, yeah, why are you calling me? That's so aggressive. Like, Wow. Sorry. So I looked it up, and it is considered kind of aggressive when you text somebody. Somebody's supposed to text them back. All these different kinds of rules for text messaging. It's no wonder um, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. So I also read oh, that about 93% of how we communicate with one another is actually nonverbal. So it, it, it is like um, only 7% it comes from what we say. It's how we say it and our body language. Like 38% of it is considered um, like your tone of voice and the way that you say it. 55% is the body language that you use when you're saying it. So it is no wonder that we get so confused when we're text messaging each other. I've even been with people who took out their phone and like, so... Just listen to this text message that so-and-so sent me, and they're like totally mad. And then they read the text to me, and I'm like, I would have never read it that way. I'm, to I'm completely confused. Why are you mad about this? Because you don't know, like, how they're saying it or the body language behind it. And so I think we also have to honestly consider the fact that a lot of it is how we hear things, too. We have our own slant in the way that we read something and the way that we interpret those words um, and so this morning, what I want us to do is look at scripture, because one of the things I'm afraid we far too often do is we take the word of God and we put our own slant to it. We read it in a way that maybe that author didn't really mean for us to read. I want you to know that every time I prepare for a sermon, I'm looking at what was said before that text, what is said after that text, and even some of the translations of Greek and Hebrew to hear, like, what is this author trying to convey? Because we don't have the benefit of 93% of how things are communicated, which is tone of voice and body language. Um, all that being said, I, I want us to read this passage today in the way that um, I want you to trust me. I've done my research, not on Google, all right? That this passage that we are going to read today is a passage that is meant to be read with excitement and enthusiasm and joyfully. It's something that we are meant to, to read not with reluctancy or hesitation, and sometimes what we do is if it's a scripture that hits us somewhere we don't really want to be hit or we, tells us something we don't really want to hear, we'll change our slant to it and make it something that's not, to, it's not meant to be. We read it with reluctancy or hesitancy. You know, I thought some this week about reluctancy. Like in just how that's impacted my own life, being reluctant. I looked it up and un reluctant means unwilling, hesitant, are disinclined, disinclined. I thought about how about 14, 13 or 14 years ago, 
my immune system decided to literally try to kill me. So for several years, I was battling that battle. And so I had to give myself injections. Well, needles don't bother me. So for the first year and a half, I just gave myself the injection and went on my way. Well, it didn't work. So they changed the medicine and it was stronger and it was, and it hurt. Like you're supposed to give it to yourself in your leg. And I would sit there with that needle in my hand, disinclined to give myself that injection. I even got to the point where I would have someone else do it for me. It made me feel a little bit better when the nurse in my, uh, in my rheumatologist's office said, well, there's a grown man that has to come in here and have us do it, and he cries when we give it to him. I'm like, okay, I feel a little better about it now. But we're not supposed to read this scripture. This is what, in a disinclined, unwilling, hesitant kind of way. And let me tell you what Paul is writing this letter to the Church of Corinth, he's writing it to the Corinthians, and we're looking at verse 9, we're going to be looking, I mean, uh, chapter 9, looking at verses 6 through 15. In chapter 8, Paul tells about how he's in this place, because this is what Paul is doing in the writing of these letters to the church of Corinth. He has been made, his life has been changed, and he's been made aware of the deep poverty that people are living in. Poverty around their financial resources and food, also poverty around not knowing about the grace of Jesus Christ living in that place of spiritual poverty. And Paul's been made aware of this, and he goes to the churches and says, we need to make a difference. We need to do what needs to be done. We need to be a giving people so that lives can be made better. So he goes to this church in Macedonia, to some of the Macedonian churches, and these are people in chapter 8, these are people in these churches who are living in deep poverty struggling because of their poverty. And so he does not want to ask them to take up an offering because of the poverty in which they live. And the scriptures tell us in chapter 8 that the people of the Macedonian church came to Paul and begged him to let them give, to let them make a difference in the world in which they live, to let them be a part of something bigger than themselves, to allow them, that even in their poverty, to be a generous people. And so now Paul is writing to the Corinthians about this and how they are called to live as generous, giving people. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 9. We're going to be looking at those verses 6 through 15. If you do not have your Bibles with you, the words will be on the screen. But I invite you now... As Paul talks to the people of the Corinthian church about how they are giving their lives to Jesus, this is what he says, beginning with verse 6. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. 
Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know of nothing more true than this. An encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ results in a changed life. Nothing has changed my life more than an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. Not marriage, which changed my life a lot. Not parenting for children, which changed and is continuing to change my life a lot. Nothing in, has changed my life on the level that the grace of Jesus Christ has done. Now, let me be really clear. I'm still a very imperfect and broken person. There are still way too many end-of-the-day situations where I realize I've made decisions that were disappointing to God and I've been disappointed in myself. But from where I was before Jesus to where I am today is an indescribable gift. And I want to tell you something. That kind of thing happens all throughout Scripture. Like, you're, my name's not in there, but boy, is it in there. Because it happens to us when we allow ourselves and allow Jesus to completely come into our lives and our hearts and take over. Like, give it all. Where it takes up every nook, every cranny, every part of our lives given over to Jesus Christ. It happens all the time throughout Scripture. Paul, the guy who wrote this, who wrote these letters, he was going around persecuting Christians, putting them in prison until he had an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ and it changed everything about his life. Like he was then willing to be imprisoned, he was willing to be tortured, he was willing to be ridiculed and shamed all for the gospel of Jesus Christ because he had an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus, many of you have heard that story. Maybe when you were a child, you sang that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. So Zacchaeus is hated. He's a tax collector. He steals from people. He skims off the top. He chooses isolation, rejection, and being hated in order to have wealth. He's selfish, and he's greedy, and no one likes him. And Jesus is passing through there, and Zacchaeus decides he wants to take a look. I want to see Jesus, and i got to tell you, I've got to wonder sometimes when I read this story. Was it really that Zacchaeus was all that short, that much shorter than everybody else, that he couldn't see Jesus and couldn't find a way to, or was it that he was just hated that much? That's what I wonder that sometimes. As a very short person, this crosses my mind. I was telling someone this week, we were having service in the sanctuary, and I told a young man about 32 or 33 years old who was going to speak, I said, when you get up to the lectern, there's going to be a step there. That's for me. And you won't need it. So just kind of push it over to the side. And when I come back up, I'll push it back. I said, because if I stand behind the lectern, I can't see over the top of it. And this young man looked down at me and he said, well, you're just adorable. 
was, he, was it that he was really so much shorter than everybody else or that people just were like, when he's like, let me through, let me through? No way. And here's why. We won't let you through to see Jesus because of who you are and what you do and what you've done. There's nothing Jesus can do for someone like you. But what happens? Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. Jesus goes to his house. Zacchaeus it has an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. And what does it do to him? The thing he's most known for is selfishness, narcissistic greed. And he says, you know what? I'm going to pay back everything I've ever taken from anybody. And I'm going to do even more than the law requires me to do. And 50% of everything I have now goes for the furthering of the kingdom of God to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. A changed life as a result of an encounter with Jesus Christ and his grace. And so Paul is talking to the people of Corinth. And listen, these are some, these are some people right here, right? This Corinth, this city is a big, big city. It's a wealthy city. He's, he knows they have the resources to make a difference in the world, right? He knows that about them. One of the things I learned in doing some research over this sermon is that people used to say, you live like a Corinthian. And what that meant was you live a life of debauchery and prostitution. They had a reputation. But conversions are taking place. Jewish people, Gentile people, all worshiping together, something only God could make happen, right? Only the grace of Jesus Christ could create something like that. And so Paul writes to them and he says, listen, I want you to know something. There are people who are in need and you need to be sowing bountifully. You need to be reaping. You will reap bountifully when you sow bountifully. You need to be a giving people and you need to do it cheerfully, not begrudgingly, not like you're holding a needle to your leg and waiting and waiting and waiting, disinclined to be a generous people. So what happened to the people of Macedonia? How could they, suffering and living through such, struggling through such kind of deep poverty, how could they be that kind of excited about giving? It's because they gave it all, their whole lives, everything about who they were and what they did, all given over to God because of their experience with Jesus and his grace. And so it meant that every part of them was changed. Every part. Sometimes the hardest part for us to change about ourselves is our attitude toward what we believe to be our money, our resources, or our time, or our talents. And Paul is saying, listen, you want to experience an indescribable gift Become a generous people and do it in a cheerful way. Not begrudgingly. We're not meant to give begrudgingly, but to do it joyfully. Those of you who worship here regularly know that just right down the hall, we have a worship service every Sunday morning at 1115 for adults with special needs. We have 100 to 150 people in that service every Sunday morning who have special needs. A few years ago, we were raising money for a mission project, and there's a, a man in that service. His name is Robert. And everything, every single Sunday, Robert does a couple of things. He comes to church at Believer's Garden, and he brings a $1 bill with him because he stops and gets himself a Coca-Cola on the way out. It's his Coca-Cola for the week. That dollar is a big deal. Robert said that he heard someone say that day that there were children who didn't have shoes and that they got really sick from disease, from walking around barefooted. And he said, he looked at his dollar and he just walked up to the front and laid it on the stage. Cheerfully, 
he wanted to give. Do you know that Believer's Garden that year took up a collection and raised $2,000 from adults with special needs to give to children without shoes? Uh, just a few weeks ago, Believer's Garden took up a collection because they found out that this church is going to partner with Woodlawn United Methodist Church to start an after-school care program for children whose parents don't have that option of after-school care. Believer's Garden raised $3,600 to give to that ministry. And I want to suggest to you this, that if you go talk to anyone in Believer's Garden about what they did and how they gave, they would be so excited to tell you. There would be none of this disinclined kind of thing. It would be cheerful. We get to be part of this. We get to be part of this. We get to be part of what God is doing and how God is making a difference in the lives of people. How are we not going to be incredibly cheerful about that? How are we not going to see this as an indescribable gift that God has given us. And so Paul writes to him, he's like, like the Macedonians who are giving cheerfully and happily and begging to give. You need to experience this same kind of joy, this cheerful giving kind of joy. That's what we're invited to. That's what we're invited to. Honestly, every single Sunday, every single day, every single week, when we make the decision to give of our time, to give of our talents, to give of our resources, that's what we're being invited to participate in, this indescribable gift that we should be cheerful about the fact that God is allowing us to be a part of this. If you're a member here, you received in the mail this week a card that you were to fill out to tell us what your estimate of generosity will be for the year 2020. Hopefully you've prayerfully considered that, what that will look like. We're inviting you to be a part of all the things that are taking place that God is doing inside the walls of this church and far-reaching, far-reaching outside the walls of this church. Where people are having experiences with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And it's literally changing their lives and how they live it. So Paul isn't just talking about what we give, but how we give it. That we give it cheerfully. Christian giving and serving arises out of a response to the goodness of God in and through us and in our lives. This cheerful and generous giving um, in all forms brings this harvest of great enrichment to every single giver. This morning we're going to have an opportunity during the singing of the invitation song for you to come forward as a community, as a body of believers, and bring those, car those cards forward and place them in the baskets. Now, I want to say if you, this is your first time to be in worship with us this morning, um, what I would ask you to do is take that card and just maybe write how you'll be praying for this church. And praying for the ministries of this church. If you're not in that place right now where you can give cheerfully. Or where you know the Bible, what Paul talks about is giving proportionate to your means. It's not asking to give so that you will be struggling with poverty. But to give proportionate to your means. But if that is not where you are. And it would be done begrudgingly. Wait and pray about that. Ask for that experience of God's grace through Jesus Christ to allow you to give every part of your life. If University United Methodist Church is not the place that you want to practice generosity, I still want to just strongly encourage you to practice generosity. Find that place that you want to practice generosity and give. 
You need to be giving. Whether it's here or somewhere else, you need to be giving. You need to be experiencing the joy and the blessing and the enrichment that comes from being a generous person. So when we invite you to come forward during the singing of this invitation song to bring those cards forward, it may be that you're placing a card in that basket that is a sacrificial gift that you are giving joyfully. It may be that you are placing that card in the basket to say, this is how I will pray for this church. Or it may be that you will place that card in the basket and say, I need this church to pray for me. I want to invite you after you've placed the card in the basket to go to where our prayer quilts are. We have a prayer quilt from Moses Verbena, who is undergoing radiation right now and then will face a couple of years of chemotherapy for a brain tumor. We had an anointing service for him after the 930 service this morning in the green room and prayed over him for what he is facing. The other quilt is for a little girl named Cadence that I was able to visit a couple of times this week who also had brain surgery this week. She's at home recovering from that. And I've already told her about this prayer quilt and I have already told her that all of y'all are going to pray over that prayer quilt. So don't make a liar out of your preacher, all right? She, she knows that when she gets that prayer quilt, every, every knot that she touches that's been tied in that prayer quilt represents a prayer that you guys have prayed for her. And she is so excited. She told me um, when I left the day she was getting ready to have surgery, will you put this on your Facebook and Instagram so all your friends know to pray for me? So you're invited to pray over those prayer quilts. Or I'll be standing here in the front waiting to pray for you if you'd like to have someone pray for you. If you didn't get a card, an estimate of generosity card when you walked in, if you'll just lift up your hand if you need one, our ushers are waiting and willing to bring that card to you if you need one. But we're going to stand together and we're going to sing our invitation song. And as we sing that invitation song, you are invited and you are encouraged to respond in the way that God is speaking to your heart to respond this day. Let's pray about that together. God, we thank you that you love us enough to give us opportunities to be enriched, that you give us opportunities to participate in what you are doing in this world. So thank you for that, God. Thank you for that indescribable gift. Thank you for the gift that comes when we have an experience with your son Jesus and the grace that he has for us. And thanks for the joy that comes as a result of that. We pray, God, for these cards that are placed in, this, in these baskets this morning that will be done with excitement and enthusiasm and expectation, God. Not reluctancy or disinclination. But they will trust you, God. Build our lives on your grace. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.